Unlike our subject matter this week, this podcast is not short form. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and short form storytelling. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today, just like last time, we're talking about shows that were Emmy nominated, but the small ones, the short ones. The itty bitties. The itty bitties. The itty bitty Emmys? I don't know. It's <laughs> We're looking at the short form animation Emmy nominated shows. 2019. 2019. Of this year. Of, of the right now. Um, there were five. Count them five. I'm, that's what I'm telling myself to count them. Um, nominees for this award. There is um, some. What do I want to say? Familiar faces. Usual suspects. Here. Usual suspects a little bit. And then a couple of interesting outliers. So would you like to say the nominees? Yes. Um, may I have a drum roll, please? Um, I'm trying not to hurt the microphone. First up, we have Love, Death, and Robots, the short The Witness, uh, which you can find on Netflix. Uh, Robot Chicken, Season 9, Episode 15, Why Is It Wet? Uh, from Cartoon Network slash Adult Swim. Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, and I'm trying to understand this nomenclature, Season 11, Episode 20A, Plankton Paranoia, uh, from Nickelodeon. Uh, Steven Universe, Season 5, Episodes 23 and 24, Reunited on Cartoon Network, which we have already discussed in a previous podcast. You can find that in the show notes. We'll link it. And uh, Teen Titans Go, Season 5, Episode 19, a Nostalgia is Not a Substitute for an Actual Story on Cartoon Network. Wonderful. Yeah. And these Bob, these bad boys, folks, nominees, nominees are all, I guess not all, they're not full half-hour episode-style things. Except for Steven Universe, which is two half episodes put together. I don't know how the rules work, but they do. <laughs> yeah, these are typically shows that are usually, because animation, we've, we've talked about this before. You have your 22-minute episode ones, and then you have your 10 and 11-minute ones, and then you have shorter things. I think Robot Chicken is 22, 24 minutes, but it's... Tiny things. It's a bunch a, of shorts in there. It's an anthology <laughs> in 20, 24 minutes in there. So, but but making one particular episode and eh, I don't know. There's a there's a lot going on, and I know that typically Teen Titans Go is ten minute episodes. Love, Death, and Robots is an anthology series and some of them are longer than others. I think some are 20 minutes, some are seven minutes, some are three minutes. I think this one was right around like 12 to 15. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah, it does sound right. 
I could be completely misremembering it. I sound like a fool to anyone who's actually seen it. I mean, I've seen it. I've definitely I've, seen it. <laughs> I've seen it three times. Wow, three. Three, yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to know more. <laughs> uh, so typically, I think this category was sort of split off from uh, the main animation one. And my guess is because the main animation one started getting taken over by The Simpsons and other things in the 90s. Uh, it got a little more adult-oriented. So right. my suspicion was this category was kind of developed to support these shorter, not adult-oriented animation things. And what's interesting is now it is also seeing more adult-oriented stuff in here. Right. Which is why then you end up with the daytime Emmys for all the younger audience stuff yeah which is valuable right i mean i'm glad there's an emmy for everything i literally am because there's so many categories and i feel like the emmys get that you can't just give an emmy award for animation they understand animation is not a genre right it's not one thing which is why i would expect this to be difficult to juxtapose to juxtapose, oh my gosh. <laughs> juxtapose? <laughs> juxtapose? Juxtapose. To compare um, <laughs> certain things like Love, Death, and Robots to SpongeBob SquarePants. Like looking at those and trying to be objective to say which one deserves an award and what criteria are you using to say, this is award worthy. Like what makes it award worthy? And I think as we go through these and look at the different ways that they tell stories, then we might be able to guess who's gonna win or who slash won. We know, we didn't mean to know. We, we made all of our notes before it was announced. So all of our notes we stand by. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and we, we totally assumed that uh, we would be recording before knowing, but apparently the animation awards are announced before the Emmys are aired. Now we know. Hashtag who knew. <laughs> For next year, we know. Hashtag who knew. Hashtag anyone who follows the Emmys more closely than this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, congratulations, writers of The Simpsons. In regards to our last episode. In regards to our last episode. I'm not trying to say who won this time. In regards to the, the last episode, congratulations, writers of The Simpsons. I know it's not the one we endorsed, but we also liked it. Right. <laughs> so there. So worthy. <laughs> Still worthy. Speaking of shows that are worthy of awards, let's look at these ones. I'm really so good at um, transitioning. Um, yeah, you're at a roll today. One might say we're rolling into the next topic. Nice. So what, where should we start? Should we start with the outlier, the uh, the one that doesn't quite fit necessarily? Yeah, let's start there. And then move forward into anything else? Yeah. All right. I assume you're talking about Love, Death, and Robots. I am. Okay. I am. <laughs> so Netflix. Like, are we on the same page? 
I think so. So Netflix, welcome, welcome to the Emmys yet again. Um, Netflix yet again, yet again. Um, I mean, they've been there since their very first original series with you know House of Cards. So they've been to the Emmys before, but they they keep ending up in different categories. So welcome to short form animated series uh, with Love, Death, and Robots: The Witness. As we said, this is an anthology collection of short animated films. I think I've watched five or six of them. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched all of them. They're a little bit, they remind me in tone and feel to the animatrix that we had talked about previously. Yeah, that really feels, it's a lot of what they're channeling. Cause I mean, you could just call the animatrix love, death and robots and it would be <laughs> the true. same idea. That's true. <laughs> Now, out of the ones that, out of Love, Death, and Robots, The Witness is the one that is nominated. It's not necessarily the one that I would have picked to be nominated from that, but I can understand why it was nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, the basic plot of this one is a woman is in an apartment building and she witnesses a violent murder and the killer sees her and she tries to escape and that's the plot Ta-da. That's, that's not the story that's just the plot the mm-hmm. the things that happen um is there anything you would like to add to that no i think that's that's the plot it's um <laughs> that's the plot you want a plot here's your plot Um, it's very visually striking, which is, I think part of the reason it was, um, nominated. It very much has like a, I don't know how to describe it. It's hard to describe the visual style. It's like comic book meets Blade Runner meets like Pixar film. Yeah. It it also feels like there are brushstrokes on it and really like, um, pastel colors that that are well not pastel but neon neon feels very strong they're strong bright purples bright greens very you can see brush strokes here and there because i believe the the director and the writer um was also a painter Hmm. so you kind of see brush strokes so it does you're not quite sure Sometimes it looks photorealistic and sometimes it looks illustrated and sometimes you're just not sure. Sometimes it looks like somebody put paint on a lens. Um, It's really striking visually, which is about the most I can say for the, the newness that it brings to it. It feels like somebody new coming to animation and trying something out to be different. And I, is, I is the director new to animation? That I don't know. Okay. Clearly done our research. Uh, right. <laughs> but I think for us, it's looking at what's there. I mean, I did a little bit of research trying to figure out um, what... Oh, um, he worked on Tron. 
the TV uh-huh. show. Oh, that's right. Yeah, which I which I enjoyed Tron Uprising. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that show. I was sad when it got canceled because it was a huge cliffhanger. Um, total type B cliffhanger, you know, man. Anyway, Alberto uh, Mielgo, who is the writer and director of this, in an interview, he said, um, quote, this story is very much a representation in the shape of a thriller of difficult types of relationships into which I repeatedly fall, which are not necessarily based on love, but on needs, on anything that is like an obsession more than love, end quote. So... The reason why I watched this one three times, um, I saw it once uh, when I just randomly, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, wanted to watch Love, Death and Robots and start watching it uh, one night. And then I saw it a second time when we decided to see this show, you know, to that we were going to do this episode of talking about the nominees. And then the third time was I read his description about the idea that this is about a relationship where two people get into this weird cycle and they keep hurting each other and coming back to each other and this obsession that comes into it. And after reading interviews um, with Alberto, first name basis, I, I went back to watch it a third time to see if if those interviews gave me any new understandings of the short, you know, if, if it lifted anything else up. And did they? No. Oh, okay. No, I don't (laughs) think it, not for me personally. It did not. (laughs) I don't think it, I don't think it added anything to me. It's, it feels like it wants to be deeper than it, than it is. It wants to say more than it does, I feel. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know how many times you've watched it. Um, just the one time, really. Um, yeah, it, it was visually interesting, and I thought that it was... Um, I mean, they kind of, like, if you're paying attention, like, at all, they kind of feed you the ending at the very beginning of the short. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like there's too many surprises along the way if you have paid close attention in the first minute um, and the title of the short, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't have much more to say about it than that. Um, I can't remember everything that happens along the way because I feel like I watched this a while ago now. So I remember the basic plot. I keep remembering like, oh, yeah, there's this whole thing where they go to the club and the club is a thing. Right. And it feels like that doesn't stick with me because it just felt like that's like a little addendum onto the main part. Like it's adding more obstacles in the chase of the man chasing after the woman. To presumably kill her. Though he As doesn't she perceives, yeah. Though he doesn't seem to be carrying a weapon um, as he chases after her. Um, so she witnesses it. She jumps in a, she runs down, jumps in a car, gets herself to work at this club where she she strips and it ends up being hyper-sexualized and the man's there with other people in leather and 
it feels strange. Like you're like, oh, I didn't see it going here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I suppose is that obsession that the director was talking about of this is a relationship that's based on obsession and sex, sex and temptation. And it's not love that these people are feeling, but they feel drawn together. But it, it felt really, really one-sided. It felt all about this man being obsessed with this woman and her trying to get away. And I think a third of it, she's, um, she's naked and it's just, I don't know. It, it felt shocking for the sake of being shocking. It definitely felt um, symbolic. Because like the characters don't behave in a way that's satisfying to you as a viewer. Like no one for a second like stops and asks, like, is there a different way to reach my end goal in this than to just chase or run for the 12 minutes of the short? Right. Neither character really tries anything to break that cycle. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think you feel like this is not really about the plot. It's about the story and what it represents. Um, and it's it's interesting to watch. It's like Koyana Skatsi. I don't know. Um, In a way, I agree with that. Because um, it is an experience and it feels like, especially the way that it ends where the woman witnesses um, the the man killing a woman, which turns out to be herself. And then at the end, the woman kills the man and the man witnesses her mm-hmm. killing himself. And then she chases after him. Presumably. Yeah. So it, it starts to feel like Oh, we did something is what it what that ending feels like as opposed to see this is this is the inevitable conclusion of this. It didn't I I don't know for me I I mean I understand that they're setting up this is a cycle between these people, but they didn't feel like equals to be to have it feel like oh this is a cyclical thing going on between the two of them. It didn't feel like they were enough to understand. It, it, what am I trying to say? If it is what he was talking about, these relationships, then he puts himself in the man's shoes as opposed to the woman's shoes. And the man is just obsessed with getting this woman. But the woman is only trying to get away. I think the implication at the end is that their roles are reversed. Constantly. Yeah. That was the implication that I got. Mm -hmm. Like, look at this weird thing. Let's chase after this person who looks like the person who just died to get some answers. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think the situation quite lives into the symbolism that it wants to. But it's pretty. It's pretty. Yeah. And it, it's it's not something that you would normally 
see. It mm. is different. It is different and it's a different experience. And yeah. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. So. It, it feels very much like it's, I don't describe it. It's an animator's piece. Yeah. Like right. here the, on our podcast, it's called writers get animated. So we talk a lot about like the writing part of animation and not always as in depth about the act of animating because we're not experts on that part. Right. <laughs> not that we're experts on writing, but we like to pretend. We can um, pretend more about that than we can about being expert animators. Exactly. And I think that an animator short, especially what you see, and I don't want to compare this to a student film by any means, but it has a similar feel to me. It's way better than a student film. Um, but you have like a animating student, for example, who spends their entire college career doing four years or more of drawing and animating doing this. And they often don't have any writing experience. And so you have a short that looks pretty and doesn't really have a lot of... Um, dialogue or plot or like writing involved it's a situation and then it looks really visually interesting as it unfolds because it's, it's more of an exploration of that yeah yeah exactly it's not trying to be something written so maybe that's why we're having such like a a reaction to it because we're looking for the writing and it's not a writer's short right it rests on theme and emotion and visual storytelling yeah so which is also fine it's like yes. trying to compare a poem and a short story. Yes. Different. Yeah. So, the witness. Shall we talk? Shall we go? We'll stay in the adult realm just okay. just a little while longer and talk through uh, robot chicken. Speaking of poems, robot chicken. <laughs> right. If you want to get, if you want, you want to get short form. Let's get short form. Um, Robot Chicken on Adult Swim, uh, which has been a long around for a while now, nine seasons. Yeah, I didn't realize that this show was still on. And I did a little bit of history <laughs> research. I've missed a lot of like meta plot of Robot Chicken and what the Robot Chicken and the mad scientist have done to each other, according to the opening intro. Huh. I don't know. There's a meta plot. I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that you do. Okay, I won't. <laughs> um, so yeah, this one, it, it does Robot Chicken. It kind of delivers what it promises from things that are five seconds long to a few minutes long, like weird, interesting extrapolations of what the real world of these pop culture, nerd culture things would actually be like. If Rita Repulsa from Power Rangers were as hard up for money, how could she make extra cash? Right. What would Scooby-Doo do if something went wrong? Like, what is the reality of the uh, Scooby-Doo villain? And if the villain actually succeeded? Yeah. I mean this in the best way. It's very 2000s. Uh, that's yeah. a compliment. <laughs> it, it does feel like it's from a different time. Like Robot Chicken does feel like it's from a different time. Not in a bad way, but it's, it's references 
are based on what am I trying to say? The references that they made this year for this episode, I've seen things similar when Robot Chicken was a new thing. Mm-hmm. So not saying that they're not breaking new ground, but I was like, they got nominated for this old episode. Like it, it felt like. <laughs> it could have been at any time. It could have been any time in its run. You know, it didn't feel like the 2019 version of something from Robot Chicken or That's 2018. Fair. I don't know when these awards get nominated. I'm kind of going down the list and I'm sure that they have made fun of more modern pop culture stuff, but the stuff they got in this episode, like the first season of Power Rangers, Jaws, Monopoly, Mulan, Dora the Explorer, Hot Wheels, Julia Child, some other stuff, Mr. Bubble. That's a hot modern topic, Mr. Bubble. Those commercials are definitely still on the air and children remember what that is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I liked it. In its robot chicken way. Yeah, it's it was enjoyable. I mean, I I laughed. Yes. I always I always <clears throat> laugh at robot chicken. What I un, what I like about them is it's economical. They mm-hmm. don't carry it on too long. And if they do carry it on longer, it's to give you a surprising payoff. The structure is really sound, and usually it's once you get to the punchline, they move on. It's this, this, this punchline, we're going to the next thing. You know, here's our transition. Yeah, because this one had, I think the entire sketch, I don't know if I'm just remembering the punchline, but I feel like the entire sketch was just somebody sitting on a toilet and then a shark coming out eating that person. Yeah. Which is funny. It's unexpected. It's hashtag so random. Um, and I think some of the, they allow for any joke that comes out because of it, it, it could just happen. They like, that's the format. It could just be any one random joke because yeah. it, it just breaks it up. It just wants to keep you on your toes. And that, I'm Hey, sure remember this? Filter. Yeah. I'm, it's no, no, no. I wouldn't doubt that they don't filter. I mean, it, it's just, you end up with stuff like somebody, eating um what is it pizza rolls before they cool down and their brain melts like it's it's like that kind of stuff in robot chicken you know that it's just a joke it's not going to be anything deeper than that yeah but i'm not i'm not which is not a bad thing. Yeah. I'm not saying anything against it. I'm just saying it does what it does very well. It's like SNL for a very niche audience. Right. Except knowing when to end the, the skit. This became a criticism of SNL very quickly. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Any, anyway, do we have more to say about Robot Chicken? I don't know if we do. I don't know if we do. That was more about Robot Chicken in general than this episode, but... Um, I like don't think said, that... The, yeah. This could have been any time. That's fine. <laughs> it could have been any episode of Robot Chicken. Here's this one. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can move on to SpongeBob SquarePants, Plankton Paranoia. Speaking of things that 
could have aired at any time in the run. <laughs> so what do, what do we get here? Oh, I mean, I've I've never like disliked SpongeBob. What I gather mm-hmm. from the internet is that there are people slightly younger than me where SpongeBob is their Looney Tunes. Yeah. And like it's there forever and like very niche jokes that I've never heard of before like live in their brains for all time now. Uh, and that's great. It is doing its SpongeBob thing. It's not bad. I never got into it in the same way. Uh, this particular episode, the plot is basically Mr. Krabs. Uh, he grows more and more paranoid as he expects an attempt uh, by Plankton to steal his secret Krabby Patty recipe on like their like rivalry anniversary or something. And it just keeps not happening. Did, did Have you watched a lot of SpongeBob saying that? Like, have you... I I don't know. I feel like, when did Spongebob start? I feel like I'm dating myself, but I, I think it started when I was in middle school, which feels maybe that's why I missed the window. <laughs> what is interesting is I was also dating myself in middle school. Hey. I don't, that, I don't know. I thought, thought that was going to be a better joke than it turned out to be. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I, yeah. I think I was a little too old when it originally came out. I think I've seen, I think honestly, this is my second episode of SpongeBob that I've ever watched. It's one of those shows where I feel like in the early bits, I would only ever catch like the same, back when there were reruns and we watched things live on TV after school. Uh, (laughs) God, I feel old. Um, I feel like I catch the same handful of episodes again and again and again and again. So some that I know sure. very well, and then the stuff you could show me from season one I've never seen before. Right. I know that the squirrel has a dome that she lives in where it's air because she's a squirrel who lives underwater and obviously can't breathe water. Um, right. And I know the the commedia dell'arte of it all. Um each character's archetype that they repeat their struggles every episode and don't grow because it's that it's that kind of show, which is lots of shows are like that. Not a judgment shows. Mm-hmm. I love are like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was, I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed this particular episode. Um, it, what am I trying to say? So if we if we look at the reason why it got nominated, what did we see? What did we notice um, that that would have lent it sort itself towards being nominated? What kinds of things did we notice? To me, it feels like some of the best Roadrunner and Coyote shorts, but with more dialogue and character. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's it's the same structure of like trap, trap goes wrong, um, protagonist is humiliated in an interesting way that we laugh at. And what if the coyote was introspective? What if we <laughs> what if you didn't get the payoff that the yeah. coyote was expecting? <laughs> or are we looking at the roadrunner? I think Mr. Krabs is the roadrunner in this situation. Yeah. 
so, so like part coyote. So what happens to the roadrunner mentally <laughs> when the coyote doesn't come after him? And he would the roadrunner lose its mind? Mm-hmm. I would watch that. I would watch that in a heartbeat. I think we well. You did watch that. I was like, according to what you've said, we did watch it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's SpongeBob. I enjoy the memes, um, and it was solid. I mean, it, as far as the sponge is solid. Yeah, it was. There was nothing wasted in this particular episode either. Yes, and that's a good was, way to put it. You remember everything because it's all building toward one thing. Right. There's nothing extra. It was really totally solid. So I I was happy to to watch this particular one. There we go. If if you only watch two episodes of SpongeBob. (laughs) And this is like SpongeBob's 13 millionth nomination. Click, 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 click. I don't know. Trying to find out. I feel like it's getting up towards Simpsons level. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nominations. Or no, this would be its tenth one, I think. Nice. Fair play to SpongeBob for consistency. Consistency. Well done. Oh, shall we talk through um, Steven Universe? I know that we've spent an episode getting Gushing. into this. So maybe we should just play that episode right now. Yeah, we're going to insert the episode in the middle oh. of a podcast episode. Right. Whoa. Inception. Yeah. Is there a way to condense your thoughts from that previous recording into like five minutes for this one? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the plot of this, for those who, one, haven't listened to our episode where we spoke about this, or two, um, haven't watched this episode, um, you have the, the, the basic plot is Ruby and Sapphire get married and commit to their love in the form of Garnet. And they're, they're married and they have a wedding. And then there's an attack by the diamonds? Yeah. By Blue Diamond. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like the bridge between the entire show before this and like the last 10 episodes of the show of its run so far. It serves as like both musical recap of what's happened. Oh, the Pivotal music. character moment. That's yeah. right. The opening song where it explains everything... <laughs> For Chris Le- hey, Chris Leva, you haven't watched SpongeBob since season one. I'm, I'm sorry, Steven Universe since season one. Here's the here's what you've missed, so you could watch this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Oh, it's you such can a start good song here. too. It is, and I, I, I remember it's just it's about what the characters are feeling. It's not so much about the big fight that's going on. It's about more psychological about that and the feelings and the emotions and what's going on within characters internally. Yeah. yeah this episode that, does so that. much well. And it's probably some of the most fighting that we ever get in Steven universe too, in terms of like actual battle. I know it, it presents itself 
uh, I think it's a show where there's lots of like cool fights and battles, and those do happen occasionally, but the moral of the show ultimately is that you don't need to fight to solve a problem. Right. The, the struggle is an internal struggle. And we all share in that. And we should all just work on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Go home, think about how you're hurt, and that hurt hurts others. It's just a vicious cycle. Mm. And I love it. Give me more Rebecca Sugar. Nom, 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 nom. I just want more Steven Universe. (laughs) (sighs) I don't know if we need to say more. Just go watch, go watch the episode again, folks, or listen to the, our old episode where we talked about it. But yeah, it it was really powerful, even for Jack, who's now seven, <laughs> who's now s- seven years old, um, and enjoyed it, having not seen very much Steven Universe before. He he understood what it was about in terms of. The, the struggle, but also people coming together and the support that it takes to, you know, to uh, will yourself to do well mm-hmm. and overcome a struggle together. And that's just emblematic of how good the writing is. Like, it's a really complex topic that's hard to explain. It's not black and white in fighting. And we have seven-year-old Jack who got the entire message. Right. And he did want to watch from the beginning of the whole series. So he's interested to go back to watch watch it. So, Well, he's once, only got like 150 episodes to catch up on. <laughs> once I have time, we will go back. We will go back. <laughs> as long as no other new shows possibly come out. Ooh, I have some bad homework time for you, news for you then. Nope, nope. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. We're holding off on homework time. One more show to talk about. <laughs> One more show. Teen Titans. Go. <laughs> go, Teen Titans. Dramatic pause. Go, Teen Titans. Um, Teen Titans, go. Nostalgia is not a substitute for an actual story, which should just win based on the title. Give it yeah, to them. That's the moral for society right now. Um, I commit to it. <laughs> I, I have watched uh, I watched the original I don't know, the original animated Teen Titans that this one is a based on slash spin-off of. Confusingly, it was more of like a teen drama superhero serialized show like Young Justice. And Teen Titans Go is more of like a takes the fun parts of that show. It just does like let's do that as like a sketch comedy, like just fun kids show set in the same idea world, the same voice actors as those same Teen Titans, which I'm not mad about. I I was not expecting it to be what it is. (laughs) Like watching it there. I remember just watching one episode where they all go get jobs to learn how to be adults or something. And I was like, what do they fight crime? Like, are they heroes? (laughs) Like what is going on? I think they sometimes fight crime in this show. Like, what is this about? Like, what do we, what do I, what? And then once you stop questioning and go like, I'll just follow these characters, do whatever. It's, 
it's fine. Here's a random plot, and it just happens to have this team of superheroes doing that plot. Yeah. I'm okay with it. So what is the plot of this particular episode? Uh, it's magical. Um, <laughs> Robin bets Cyborg that if he can go back in time and successfully buy a physical album of music in the 1980s, then Robin will admit the 80s were the greatest decade in human history. Because basically they're putting themselves, the characters, in the shoes of a kid who's watching this today who knows as a fact that's been beaten into the brain by pop culture right now that the 1980s were awesome. And they take one character who says, actually, they weren't awesome because back then you had to go to a place, find the thing you wanted, assuming they had it in stock, purchase with real money, not an app, like a physical thing that represented music that you wanted to listen to. Right. It's like a, it's like an episode of the YouTube series, like kids react to, but yeah. as a bet in Teen Titans Go. <clears throat> because in, they're, they're watching basically a Stranger Things knockoff. Oh, yes. What is it called? I, I forget. It's like unusual happenings. I can't remember <laughs> what, what it was, but it was really spot on. Um, and then you get to see, uh, which I had to rewind and watch this again because they show... They start listing the the best things of the eighties and like the best cars and there's cyborg looking like a DeLorean, and then they had Beast Boy as Alf, and then they had Raven as a garbage pail kids card, which I didn't notice until I watched it like the fourth time. Um, I was like, wait, what? What is what is that? And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a garbage pail kids card. Like, who's what? And then, um, but then Robin starts talking about, you know, 80s bullies and greed is good and all the terrible things about the 80s. Like karate bullies and these bullies and yeah, trying to, trying to get through it. I think Amy Wolf from the credited writer and everyone who worked on this episode clearly has a love for the 1980s because they chose very specific jokes and things that are funny but also acknowledge that it is not the pop culture pedestal we have made it up to be as a society right now. Right. As somebody who's going to be directing a middle school musical of Once Upon a Mattress set in the 1980s, I know the 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 allure of the 1980s as like this faraway fairy tale land, which is why I'm like, huh, fairy tale long, long ago, huh? Let's put it in the 1980s as this fairy, fairy tale, long time ago, mythic place that these Ugh. seventh and eighth graders are like, oh, yeah, the 80s. It's a beautiful, magical time. I hate that the 80s are as far away now as the 50s were in every 80s movie. Yeah. Basically, if you made Back to the Future now, he'd be going back. To the 80s. To the 80s. I want to see this now. And then you'd be like, and then you'd, you'd have to have him run into like a young Michael J. Fox or something like that and like cross the time streams or something. Yeah, I wouldn't want like a reboot of Back to the Future. I want like a sequel where the whole point is it's 2019 
how did we mess up the time stream to have the universe that we currently live in? Hmm. Anyway, off topic, but... Uh, but not, but not quite. But not, but not quite. Um, this episode of Teen Titans Go does a good job. I, I don't, Actually, I don't know what it does, but it, it's good at that. <laughs> it's. I, I love that it's both a celebration of having nostalgia for something and also trying to critique people for having that nostalgia. Like Mm -hmm. you still have to have a character thing going on. It can't just be good feelings about the thing itself. That's not enough. You still have to have this character fight, which, you know, they kind of shoehorn in like, yeah, let's have this fight about, is it the best? And then we'll go back and then, have this challenge to get the album. Like, yeah, that's sort of a story, but mostly we're here watching the 80s thing. So it's like as much of a celebration as it is a critique, but more of a celebration. Like it, that kind of wins out. Yeah. They can but contain that, multitudes. It's okay. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that about it. And I, I laughed a lot. And Jack, who has no idea about the 1980s as a concept, <laughs> as a thing that happened. He still thought it was funny because, you know, Cyborg gets this weird nerd voice and other stuff happens and, you know, they're on bikes. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yes, because kids biked in the 80s. Uh. So uh, it, it just, it's a really interesting, really silly exploration of what's going on right now in pop pop culture like everyone is longing for the 80s as we're currently reliving the 90s it's interesting at least in fashion is it the 90s oh yeah in fashion okay yeah yeah yeah, that's happening hardcore yes everything else Mm. yeah so chris for you i know we know what won but if it were up to you to wave your magic emmy wand and award a best short form Emmy to one of these five things, who would you give it to? I would with extreme bias, give it to Steven universe because of its style and storytelling. However, there's also a part of me that's like, give it to the witness because it doesn't look like anything else that's on this list. That's fair. I think I would give it to Steven Universe because, again, I'm focused on the writing part and I feel like that succeeds on so many levels of the actual writing. Um, Whereas The Witness is definitely the most visually interesting and different animation part. Yeah, yeah. So if it's a prize for animation, give it to The Witness. Yeah. If it's an animated program, I say give it to Steven Universe. I agree. And in reality, uh, the Emmy cohort uh, gave the Emmy for best short form animated 2019 something to The Witness. Spoilers. Sorry. It (laughs) happened in the past. We thought it would happen during the the actual Emmys, but it did not. It did not. Mm -hmm. So 
I would say go back, watch these episodes, see what you think. Celebrate what's great about 2019. Because we had some really great, interesting things. Yeah. <laughs> Short form. Da 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 da. <laughs> Shall we talk homework time? As long as I get to know what your favorite thing is first. Oh, oh, we got a favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite thing. I already listed. I already said it, but I didn't say it was my favorite thing. Cyborg as a DeLorean, Beast Boy as Alf, and randomly Raven as a Garbage Pail Kids knockoff card. That That's fair. That was my favorite thing. I just can't get over that. Because I can't. You. I can't pick the whole episode of Steven Universe. My one favorite specific thing is also from Teen Titans Go, and it was the 80s bullies going, oh, what? You don't like our unmotivated hostility? (laughs) It's like, wow, that's very true, and you did it in the vein of unmotivated hostility at the same time. Bravo and brava, 80s bullies. (laughs) Good job. All right, now we can do homework time. Homework time! For your homework. Next time, we will be talking about the best new shows of 2019 so far. So, watch everything. Everything that came out in 2019. Watch everything. Binge like the wind. Binge like the wind. (laughs) Oh, that's what I suppose we should call our next episode that. Binge like the wind. Done. Sign sealed delivered. As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Cotino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Find us on the web on Twitter at WG Animated and find our show notes on writersgetanimated.podbean.com and listen to us wherever you catch your podcasts. For just one day, let's think about... For just one day, let's think about ending the podcast. Wow. You're welcome. Put some work into that one. Yeah, that was great. Good night, everybody.